Thank you for staying with us. Welcome to part two of our favorite horror movies discussion, where Mark, Kenyatta, Deborah, and Jeff continue the dis- discussion of their favorite horror movies, the marketing of certain horror movies, and TV streaming picks for horror. Enjoy! Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum, peer reviewing scripts, giving feedback, and fellow writers work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. And um, let me yeah, I get to my number two. Let me get to my number two real quick. Go right ahead. All right, so number two for me is Fright Night. This came out in 1985. It was uh, directed by Todd Tom Holland, who also did the um, the original Chucky. Um, so that yeah, that's number two for me. Um, I actually watched it again. I, I don't know. I saw this movie over 30 times. I saw. It, I remember seeing the previews and um, went with a bunch of friends to go see it in 1985. I you know I was expecting the regular old horror films. But <clears throat> I got much more than that. And actually, it's, it's, it's such a, a um, pivotal film that a lot it got a lot of imitators. You had even Disturbia was based off of Fright Night. And then we go to, like I said, with the, with the uh, CGI. It, there was no CGI back in 1985 like it is today. And they, like I said, I know I keep harping on this. They use... The, you know, the makeup and the special effects makeup, so on and so forth. And there's a scene with the, um, one of the vampires. That is, whoever, I, I don't know the uh, special effects artist was for that, but that, they, their, their patent for this, well, they're, they're um, it's been duplicated so many times in films today. You know, every time I see it, I was like, they got that from Fright Night. They got that idea from Fright Night. And um, you have anybody here seen that film as well? Yes, yes. I, I was a teenager when I saw that at the theater, and that 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 you know is another movie that um, not on my list, but it's it's hard to to narrow them down to ten. That that was for me because the the, the movie itself um, was unique. There there were there were a couple a little comedic uh, elements to that movie. Um, and of course, that movie was remade. The remake doesn't hold a candle, in my uh, opinion, to the original. But yeah, that was certainly one for me during my teenage years that that uh, was exciting. And I, whenever it comes on TV, rare as it is, but I, I have to check it out because it's a movie that was dear to me when I was a 15-year-old. Yeah, the remake wasn't as good, but I, I did like it. But they also made other remakes, but they made it still... A vampire they made it with werewolves i forgot the name of the movies and they'll always kind of replace it with something else they can replace it with a serial killer living next door so it's like this film had to have been pivotal because it's so imitated and even like i said even some of the designs of the creatures were imitated and um and there's another uh film on my list that wait a minute um, before you wait a minute i just wanted to mention fright night was great and you were talking about the visual effects person was Richard Edblom, and he also did the special effects for Ghostbusters. So, okay. Fright, yeah, and for me, Fright Night um, was just sort of, it, for me, it was just entertaining. It didn't scare me. It was just a great film to watch. 
in terms of the characters and you know the the vampire who wants a vampire living next door to them you know <laughs> and and that the naivety of the two teenagers i thought was was just a great setting a great <clears throat> opportunity to you know really capitalize on the fact of their innocence and you know his girlfriend and and what happened to her it was it was just a great movie it really wasn't scary for me but it was just so doggone entertaining. It was very enjoyable. It's one of my favorite films, Fright Night. And, and Chris Sarandon, he played the vampire next door. And he did such a damn good job. No matter what he's in, I cannot see him outside of that character. Jerry <laughs> Dandridge. I cannot I cannot see him outside. And the way he played it, man, you want to talk about, because you think about like the Black exploitation movies we have, um, you know, the masculine person and they're cool and everything, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what he kind of reminded me, me of, the way he wore his suits and the way he, he had an overcoat, the way he... Oh, the he, way was he, he, he was smooth. He was. Seduced. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was, he was definitely... Oh, he was, in, he was the detective in Chucky, so... Right, he was, yeah, yeah which was also <laughs> a Tom Holland film, so yeah. there's that connection there. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, that that character Jerry Dandridge, the way he played it, it was like so pitch perfect, man. Absolutely, and they talked about. Um, I just read a little bit about the special effects. They didn't have the modern special effects for their eyes when they their eyes turned, and so they had to. So, so the actors were actually blind. They had to throw glitter at them with their the uh, you know when their their eyes changed, and they could only keep them in for twenty minutes, and they had to take them out. <laughs> and they were dry-eyed. So that is interesting when you think about the special effects and what the actors went through. Um, but yeah, it was a great film. But again, for me, it was entertaining. And I remember, I think I was either, my kids were little or, or I had some younger people on it and it scared them, but I was laughing. I was, I thought it was hilarious, but for younger people, I can see how it could be frightening. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bad movie viewer in this case. I've only seen the 2011 remake with, uh, with Anton Yelchin and, uh, and uh, Colin Farrell. I, I thought it was okay, but uh, unfortunately it didn't get me to th uh, think about seeing the original. And uh, unfortunately that's a shame. Yeah, I, I probably should check it out then. Uh, definitely, uh, if, uh, yeah. you all uh, definitely recommend it. Oh, you'll enjoy Yeah, it's it. way better. Yeah, the part one is way better than the, the second the one. The original, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the original was way better than um, <laughs> the, the remake. Mm. Kenyatta, you've mentioned another film because I, I sort of just wanted to comment about Fright Night. Oh, I forgot to quit. I'll get back oh, to it. I don't right. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no one talks about the Texas Chain Mass, um, Texas Chain Massacre. I saw a massacre. Oh, that's yeah. on my top ten. That's on my top ten. On mine. The, the on mine. One. The original yeah, one. The original one. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. God, that thing then now that scared me. 1974. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Toby, it was a Toby Hooper. Yep. Hopper's a Hopper Hooper. 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 Or okay, Hopper, Toby yeah, Hooper. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, the original 74. Uh, it, it's interesting viewing it now. If you would, I, I don't know, Mark. I don't know if you've shown it to any of your students or not. I, I don't know if it's on the curriculum. But uh, if you show oh. this to, okay, if you show this to like um, young kids, even younger than me, um, uh, don't show I think it to Mark. <laughs> 
I, I, I actually argue that maybe you should because it almost lures you into this false sense of security because the first few, they, the first like hour or so is just set up in the teens and some of the acting is not great. Uh, the editing is, you know, it's not, not great, but it's almost like luring you into this like false sense that, oh, this is just going to be another bad, just 80s, uh, 70s, I should say 70s uh, uh, slash him up. But I mean, the last 15 minutes of Tet that is just a nightmare. It, it literally just a nightmare captured on film. And I don't know how they did it because it's literally, that, that is just pure nightmare fuel at the, the dinner table. And then uh, she's trying to escape. Uh, they're, they're, they're like, oh, um, they're, they're all crowding her. It's like, ew, it's just like, just pure, just visceral nightmare. And it, she finally escapes, but then uh, Leatherface uh, chases after her. Uh, and it is like the last 15 minutes of that is just pure horror filmmaking and my I think that, I think what you mentioned I think what you mentioned Jeff about the bad acting I think that played into the realness of the film and that really helped it to say oh okay just regular young people being stupid blah 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 but it that crescendo boy it gets into it but anyway I just wanted to mention that but I Absolutely. I think that sort of made you think it was going to be an okay film but go on, Ken. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you said the last 15 minutes, it felt way longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> it felt like a good 40 minutes, 45 minutes, because it was like, it It kind of, Quentin Tarantino kind of did this in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What, the, that last bit of film, like, like, I think it was the last 15 minutes, half an hour. It's just that crescendo, man. So, you know, he's he watched a lot of films. So I I'm willing to bet that's probably where he get that technique from from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. How you go from okay, you're going along in a certain direction and all of a sudden you you hit that. You hit that note where it's like and it takes you to a, a whole different level. And the marketing of that film, you know, I don't recall the marketing of it, but I remember years later hearing that he that uh, it was touted as uh, based on a true story. And actually, um, that was a marketing ploy that it was not based on a true story. But of course, when that's, you know, in the campaign, and people, you know, are gullible enough to believe that, wow, this actually happened, or something similar actually happened, um, that makes it scarier as well. But, but uh, years later, they, they came out and said, wait a second, we, we you know, we can't let this go on any longer. We, 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 we actually uh, fooled everyone to thinking it was based on a true story, which it was not. But that movie was clearly uh, influential. So many films that came after it, you think of like the, the wrong turn movies, right? Yeah, uh, that's you know, right. Types of, of, of films where, you know, there's a, a, a crazed family that ends up attacking a bunch of, of, of 20 somethings or whatever. That's just, at this point, um, they're just kind of, um, mimeographing the, these type of movies based off the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and none of them kind of hold a, can hold a camel to it um, because it was the first and, and, and probably the rawest. I remember back in the day when you have two VCRs, you would rent a film and then you could record it to the second VCR. <laughs> so one tape, you could fit about three movies on it. And one time I borrowed somebody's uh, v VHS tape and Texas Chainsaw was the last film on there, the last movie on there. I wasn't going to watch it. I was like, you know something? Let me, let me go check this out. And boy, let me tell you something. 
And it's funny when you say that the uh, marketing ploy was that it was based on true film. Because I was younger, I thought they had to tell the truth on that. So I assumed that it was, to a certain extent, based on the true story. It kind of is. It was inspired by Ed Gein, the serial killer. So it was, it was inspired by, you know, this real life serial killer. So in a way it was based on, but what he made it a whole family instead of this one person. But that's what made it more scary to me. Cause it, you know, in and of itself, it was kind of, you know, it was out there, man. But the fact that you, in your mind, it was based on a true story that heightens it. Yeah. Yeah. Very honest. And uh, I don't know if we're uh, all set with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but going off of marketing ploys in order to get people in the seats, I mean, another one on my, on my list, maybe not quite up there, but Blair Witch Project, you know, the first viral marketing uh, a movie campaign that was so successful in uh, getting people to see that movie. And uh, whether or not you think it holds up uh, nowadays uh, or not, I mean, that is one of its, uh, in terms of profit margin, the most successful movie ever made. Uh, and because they just knew how to get people hooked that all oh, this is this real footage this is real found footage that we found in the in the Blair Woods and saying we're putting you and we're going to show it to you uh instead the you know the, the you could see that all the actors were obviously still alive and uh, still found but uh I mean just horror is able to do that it's able to conjure just intrigue and curiosity about uh about what you're going to show and the similarities between that and Texas Chainsaw they too were saying this is based on true, but because we found out that Texas Chainsaw wasn't based on true story, and when this came out, I was like, I was wondering, I was like, is this based on true story or is it doing the same thing? But what they're both doing, it's like a kind of like a documentary feel to it, and I think Texas Chainsaw also had without the found footage uh, um, thing that they do nowadays. It had a documentary feel to it. And I think I read somewhere where he, you know, he purposely wanted to have kind of like that documentary feel. But uh, yeah, going back to uh, how uh, it's perceived, you know, of uh, different reactions uh, from it. Uh, so I didn't see it when it first came out. I, I didn't see it in 99. Uh, I knew of it, of course, because that was the only thing uh, like people were talking about, especially just mostly the marketing campaign uh, and the uh, mythos that was uh, gathering around it. So I saw it maybe three years ago uh, when uh, at a midnight screening at uh, Coolidge uh, Corner. And, you know, I, I know all about it. I even knew the ending uh, offhand. I even knew how it was going to end. So I, I, I had that sort of uh, in my back pocket when I went to see it. And I, I just, I thought they, they, this was, this is great because um, you're in a theater at midnight uh, in a darkened, in a darkened theater. You can't see anything else other than the screen, and it's projected, you know, 40 feet high, and you're really just with these characters, you know, as they start losing it. They, uh, and again, it goes back to: is the Blair Witch real? Is the Blair Witch not real? Is it just psychosis from the, them isolating in these woods? Um, but yeah, I mean, expectation can also be a killer for some some movies. Uh, perhaps it was hyped up too much for you, especially back then. And uh, yeah, Blair, I will say Blair Witch will not work for you if you see it like in your living room in the daytime with your phone on and if you have to completely isolate and uh, just 
uh, concentrate on what's going on on the screen. I think the filmmakers did capture something very unique uh, that unfortunately, as we mentioned, has been you know mimicked and uh, uh, constantly tried to uh, go off the coattails of Blair Witch because of just the success of, uh, of that movie. And it goes to show you how marketing can work for a film and sometimes if it's not marketed well, it can do have the opposite effect. And the fact that there are other films that, I mean, there's a lot of the found footage films that came out since then, I think kind of works against it. It was, to me, I think it was better when it was fresh and it was kind of a new thing. Uh, you, you know, it was being talked about and um, it pretty much, it was original at the time. And I think through time, it kind of took a, like if you can't, really watch it today and, and see it the same way you did when it first came out. That's from my perspective. You, you touched upon expectations as well. Cause I, you know, when that, the heightened expectations are there and you're just, you can't, you can't wait. You're anticipating this movie um, and, and you walk in there and basically for me, it's like getting, picking up a glass and expecting to drink milk and lemonade, right? You might like both milk and lemonade, but you're expecting lemonade, expecting one or the other, right? And it was a shock, like, wait, I was expecting something totally different. Um, it didn't meet my expectations. And maybe, you know, it requires kind of going back and, and viewing it again. Although part of me is just like frustrated because of the, the first experience that they're gonna get get these uh, this 90 minutes from me again, but he got it one time, but um, yeah, so. I don't know if we're done with Blair Witch or going to continue with that or not. If we're done with it, then I'll continue with my list. Um, a, a recent film, relatively recent uh, movie um, by um, Ari Aster, um, Hereditary, uh, I thought was fabulous. Um, as is the case with, with me when, I, when I'm seeing films, I'm going to see a film. I've done everything I can to avoid seeing the trailers for it. You know, once I get a hint that a certain type of movie is coming out or I'll see the first few seconds of a trailer in the movies. I'll close my eyes and my ears and I'm in the theater, you know, actually pressing my fingers against my ears so I don't see the whole trailer and closing my eyes. So I, I didn't know exactly what to expect, <clears throat> excuse me, with that movie. But <clears throat> I think this is his first film, his, his, his uh, first uh, foray into to full feature filmmaking and it I is away. I was blown away with this tale that that um, really ended up being about a family or uh, at least a matriarch who was involved in a coven of witches uh, or coven of, of, of maybe even demon worshippers. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, it was totally unexpected. Um, and I don't know what to say other than that movie contains a scene that left my jaw agape. I was in the theater with my jaw just dropped, looking around to see everybody else having the same reaction I was having. Because that's one time I can remember that I was like, man, I was shocked with the scene in the car uh, when <laughs> the, the, the daughter, I forgot what her name is, she met a uh, telephone pole. So that, that and then the, the way that scene is constructed and then the way they draw it out, where there's not that, you know, release, right? It happens. Guy, brother comes home, goes to bed. You're just waiting, you're waiting, waiting, anticipating for you know, the other shoe to drop. And it's not until the next morning that it happens. And it's like, oh, that was an incredible scene in Hereditary. 
Um, anyway, that's one of my 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 my, my favorite. Absolutely. Is, is, Go is ahead. Still playing? No, I'm just want to ask. I haven't seen it. Is it still playing? Where can I see it? <laughs> oh, you have to see it. No, it's on. A, you can see it on streaming. Or, and I'm sure it's on Amazon, Amazon. Prime. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Sorry to spoil that for you. Then I just told oh, you. Oh, he's, he's so spoiled. Sorry. Forget I everything. Actually, forget everything. Mark just said. Uh, oh. I blocked. I actually blocked him out because I oh, went. Oh, okay. It up. Thank so, you. Right. Good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I definitely second uh, Hereditary. It's one of the best uh, directorial debuts I think of recent memory. Uh, this he, Ari Aster had such an assured vision of how he wanted to present this terror. That was stalking this family and everything. It, it, it relies. It definitely has some influences uh, with uh, Rosemary's Baby, uh, some other movies. But uh, it's definitely it's uh, its own thing. And in terms of in the scene that he talks about is yeah, that is woo, that is a, that is a scene. But the scene that gets me is actually the bedroom scene. And then Mark probably knows. I'm not going to spoil it. But Mark knows what I'm talking about. So I do too. Okay, and, I, and, and I agree with you. Um, that originally was my top 10, but I was like on the fence because after like five or six films, seven films, it's like, oh man, how do you fit? Anyways, um, I, I, I avoided the previews and um, there were people who saw it before me, they hated it. So I was like, you know something? I don't care, I want to see this film. When I saw this film, now you were talk about Babadook and the performance of the uh, the mother in that film. Now the mother in this film, Tony Collette, oh my God. I was like, if she doesn't get nominated for Oscar, I don't know what to say because her performance was mind blowing. I'm like, oh, let me tell you something. Deborah, you haven't seen it? Do you have Amazon Prime, Deborah? I, I actually don't, but my daughter does. So I, I, I'm, and they don't like horror films. So I'll just get her passcode and watch it. Because now you got me curious. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, wait till you see Tony Collette's performance. And wow. the way, yeah, the drama in this film, I call this a, a, a drama horror. And it, let me tell you something. It, it, it will work as a drama. And it has horror elements, kind of like Silence of the Lambs, which is a priest procedural that has horror elements. This has horror elements to it. Now, I wasn't as enamored at the very end of the film, like the last 15 minutes. I have to watch it. I, I watched it like twice, I believe. And um, I'm going to watch it again. And I'll think that, uh, but but that, that first hour or so, I was like, it did, all the performance all around was were excellent. But that Tony Collette just blew my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd also recommend his follow-up, uh, Midsummer. It wasn't received as well, but I thought it was just as, if not a little better than uh, Hereditary. I think the direction is much more assured. Uh, I do want to see actually the director's cut because I apparently I only saw a really trimmed down version of it, but uh, I also recommend uh, Midsummer as his follow-up. Right, Midsummer for me, um, I enjoyed it, but part of me was just the whole time thinking about the 1972 movie, not, not the- Wicker Man. 72, Wicker Man with uh, Edward Woodward of the old Equalizer television show fame. Um, I was thinking about that the whole time and I couldn't get that out of my brain. Um, Rewatch Midsummer, maybe I'll have a I just couldn't pull it out of my head because I was just so similar uh, to that. Me too, some. I usually don't like films like that, but because Ari, Ari Astor, is that his name? Yep. What's it? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Now because he did not, and I liked Hereditary so much, I was like, I have to see this follow-up film that he has. And I have to admit, I, I didn't like it. Now that I hear that he has a director's cut, I am very interested in seeing that as well. But uh, Midsummer, like I said, I usually don't like those kind of working man type films, those cult films. And um, it was a slow burn, but I, I, I have to admit, <laughs> I have to, no, I'm telling so you, so, so slow burns don't mean, it doesn't mean that it's not good. I mean, because it doesn't even mean boring sometimes. You know, I know people equate, equate slow burn with boring, but it wasn't boring at all to me. And I know a lot of people didn't like it. Just like a lot of, to this day, I can't understand why people didn't like Hereditary, Terry, but hey, it is what it is. But I have to, have to. I didn't like Midsummer as much as I like Hereditary, but I like both films. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Jeff. So I'll finish off. Uh, I'll finish off my top two, and they are. They're from. Uh, they're a little. They're they're older than me. Uh, so that's. Uh, that come from my classic uh, part of the list. Um, number two for me, old time uh, horror movie, has to be uh, Jack Clayton's The Innocence. Um, one of the very best uh, ghost movies, uh, old gothic horror and, and everything, but uh, it was co-written by uh, uh, Truman Capote. And you can tell in some instances uh, what parts he was part of and uh, what, he, what he added to the, uh, the story. Uh, it, it's based on Henry James's uh, short story or novel, uh, *The Turn of the Screw*, uh, and I think it's the best adaptation of of that. It, this, the way that they film the hallways, um, the way that the shadows play on the walls and everything—it's beautiful black and white cinematography. One uh, one of the best looking horror movies uh, ever. It's with uh, Deborah Keir, uh, one of her best performances. In my, she's. Uh, she's had a long she had a long career but i think this is tops like in terms of the, the governess trying to uh take care of the wealthy well-to-do family's children and uh she starts um she starts going down a dark path <laughs> the uh uh taking care of this in this big house that's just oppressing and everything but uh definitely the the jack clayton's the innocence from 61 and finally i i think as my uh my fellow members of the panel can see my all-time favorite horror movie is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, as you can tell from my virtual background, I'm in the hallway of the Overlook with the twins. Uh, yeah, The Shining has scared me since I first saw it. It scared me, you know, when I, whenever I see it afterwards. It's just unrelenting terror, like pretty much from the start, uh, just this sense of unease and unsettling unsettlingness uh, from uh, especially from Nicholson's character and how he goes about interacting with his family and you just know uh, stuff is going to go down uh, you don't know quite know how and when it does boy boy does it uh, it goes down and uh, um, this was uh, you know uh, Kubrick uh, dabbled in other genres but uh, and uh, he's me left his mark on there but uh, horror with uh, this one, with The Shining, uh, definitely is one of the most iconic. Uh, Did you see the documentary Room 227? Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And um, I, I, I've seen The Shining multiple times. And um, I have to admit that when I first saw it back in the day, I was kind of bored with it. I was like, you know, I, 
But after a while, I learned to actually appreciate the film. Like if I I, I watched it last time I watched it, it was probably um, not too long because I bought it on um, 4K. Uh, and, I, and I watched it right before Dr. Sleep came out. And I was like, I, I learned to appreciate The Shining. So now I, I can say I like, you know, it's, it's no longer, you know, I, received by me in the same way when I first saw it when I was younger. And um, so, so I, I, you know, so yeah, The Shining almost made my top 10. It was kind of like, like I said, those last three, what do you put in? What do you leave out? Definitely honorable mention. So yeah, um, I would recommend not only The Shining, but I will also recommend people watch the documentary Room 227, which was a documentary um, on The Shining. So I, I share your, your feelings about The Shining, uh, Kenyatta, in that, you know, as a youngster, this movie came out, right? And, and I wasn't um, aware of some things that were happening in that movie, being that I was just so young, I couldn't process certain things that I wouldn't be able to recognize um, what was really going on. But I do, my, my earliest memory though of The Shining was um, when I was in the theater um, and the trailer for The Shining came on. And anybody who uh, remembers that first trailer for The Shining, it was, maybe 20 seconds of blood gushing out of elevator doors and flooding down a hallway and just taking over all the wall, blood all over the place. And that's what it was. It wasn't any talking, it was just, that's it. And for me, that remains as the best bit of horror marketing ever because it does not give away what's happening in the movie. It, it gets you wondering what the hell's going on. And you're saying, my gosh, I have to see this. That's all a trailer has to do is get you to say, what is this? I have to see it. And that's what that trailer did um, for me. Um, we should you know, have new directors or, or modern directors take a cue from that where they can have can fashion a trailer that gets people's interest peaked without revealing what's gonna happen. Um, that, but The Shining, yes, I, I, I've seen it a number of times. Each time I watch it, I see something different in it. And I pick up on um, the, the thing from the documentary you talked about, um, where it talks about um, some of the symbolism within the movie, um, which is amazing. And then you also mentioned last show, I believe, that Stephen King was not thrilled uh, with Stanley Kubrick's vision of the movie. Um, but you know, it, it, it's a masterpiece. Um, would be on my list, but I figured somebody else would have it on there, so I, I, I left it off. Oh yeah, The Shining was was definitely a classic. I mean, it, it was an awesome film, and uh, you know, especially the, the the look of the hotel. I mean, in itself was one of the characters, <laughs> which was the hotel and the maze, you know, and the little boy and how he was possessed with this, you know, the secondary character in his head and you know, then the twins show up. I mean, it, it was just a, it, it, you couldn't help but be on the edge of your seat wondering what the main character was going to do with to his family. And she was such a, a airhead, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, when I think about the brilliance of her acting and how naive she was, but she was smart enough to, you know, to do what she did for her family and for her son. Um, but it was it was a, a definite classic. Someone else had some something to say about it, but I 
it, Shiny is way up there in my top list for, for horror films, definitely. Yes, Stanley Kubrick, he was, as a director, man, I heard stories about The Shining where, you know, some people, they, you know, they do three or four takes of, uh, you know, of a particular shot or scene, whatever. This guy, they would, he, he had like over a hundred takes of a, of a, of a scene. And it's like, yeah, he 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 really, really um, terrorized. Is it Shelly Long? Is that her name? Shelly Duvall. Shelly Duvall. Okay, Shelly Duvall. Put her through hell. And um, just real quick, Jeff, uh, the innocence. Is that on Criterion? Is that where it's, it is? It's, it is. It is. It is absolutely. Is it anywhere uh, else? Do you know? Yeah, it's one of those things because it's from the '60s uh, and. and Oddly enough, no one really like it's not really entered the uh, you know uh, public uh, public awareness. Um, but yeah, it's on Criterion. I'm sure it's uh, available for a rental uh, on other platforms. But definitely check okay. it out. Absolutely, hands down, one of my favorite uh, watches in the, during the season. Yeah, and like, like I always told you that I'm a sucker for black and white films, and um, I always tenant to watch it but now that you mentioned it i'm definitely gonna look out for that very nice yeah highly recommended of course uh, you know a film that's underestimated which i saw recently i didn't see when it first came out but i thought was really interesting i'd like to know what you all think but it was the 2007 film uh by john cusick and samuel jackson which was room 1408 I thought uh, it's not that it scared the bejesus out of me, but it was just such a great storytelling vehicle. And I'm just wondering if anybody else actually saw Room 1408. It was just a different sort of way of how, and, and everybody stays in a hotel. So you kind of like, ah, you know, you just wonder, um, you know, how that played out. It was just for me, it, it was entertaining. And, and, and at some point it was somewhat frightening. Mark, I see you shaking your head. So you did see it. And yeah, Jeff, I believe it's also another um, Stephen King adaptation. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, and it did kind of remind me a little bit, uh, you know, of well, not really the shining. I, could, I, I these are cousins. These movies are <laughs> related, <laughs> right? Um, that you know, this is occurring in in this hotel, um, supernatural kind of stuff. And yeah, that that was a fun ride. I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed seeing. Of course, Samuel Jackson in, in a horror movie, which I uh, never get to see. Uh, that was <laughs> really amazing. Um, but there's another movie that is not a Stephen King adaptation that is not on my list, but reminds me. It's like these are all related in some way, and this is a bit of a stretch. Maybe, maybe you can see this, but I always think of the movie. I don't even know what year it came out, but Event Horizon is being Event Horizon being The Shining in space. Right, you got this 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 person, um, Sam Neill, um, who is I guess the captain of a, a, a ship in space, who is I guess possessed or, or is deranged, uh, similar to the, the Jack Nicholson character in The Shining, and the, the ship is like the the hotel, and that's the setting, and various things happen, and these things are, could be happening in the mind of the character, or they're actually occurring. Um, there's also possibly a, a time space portal, whatever, but um, yeah, 1408, Event Horizon, The Shining, I think are all kind of related. And 1408 was, was certainly a, a, a delicious one to watch. I had totally forgotten about that. Thank you so much for reminding me of 1408. 
Yeah, yeah a lot of people like Event Horizon. I am not one of them. <laughs> it's like I try, I try, I try. Let me tell you something. I try my best to. I don't know what it is. I just can't. I just don't like that film. But there's a film that's related to that, and I like. It's called. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Of it. it begins with a P. Pen. Pandorum. Pandora. Pandorum. Pandorum. There you go. Pandorum. Very similar, but. Um, it kind of reminds me of Aliens and all that kind of stuff. It's like it has a little bit of the shining in there, Event Horizon in there, but um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll actually also say uh, Event Horizon is fine for me, but uh, just like with um, uh, Mark, with you said that you were seeing the influences of uh, of the work rather than just what was on the screen playing it for you. I was just seeing like Alien and uh, The Shining a little bit, as you mentioned. Yeah, I was just seeing all the old homages, uh, what have you, rather than just uh, what this what the story was trying to convey. And I thought, to be honest, I thought the ending kind of, kind of gets ridiculous, <laughs> like um, with the makeup work and everything. Uh, there's a fine line between uh, scary makeup and just what are you guys doing? Come on, like let the actors act, uh, kind of. Yeah, not a, it's not on my list. But I just, yeah, I just right, 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 I right, right. Think of that movie when I think of The Shining. Right, I think it's related in, in so many ways. Yeah, 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 not on my list. Right. No, I would. Hey, yeah. Mark, just real quick. Mark, just real quick. You mentioned about the previews to The Shining. And you remind me, and I, and I thought about this before about uh, the trailers. I think the way the trailers come out for films, even horror films, it, it, I, I hate it because they give out. It's it's like they tell you too much, and I and I love the idea what you said about The Shining. It kind of reminded me of the previews for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. All it was was a chainsaw coming out the water. It was like first it started out, the water was still peaceful, not moving, and I want to send you to see the blade of a chainsaw coming out, and then he starts the chainsaw, and it's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, and the crowd went ballistic. Everybody was cheering. It, it was so, so, and that's all it took. It didn't, it didn't get into all this, like, cuts from the scenes that kind of, right. you know, you know, it's kind of spoilers, like, they give, give you too many spoilers. So I, I think that sometimes um, there's pressure from the industry to make sure that there's just enough stuff in that trailer to get everybody who's got any you know um, desire to see anything like that in the in the seats because you can't show a trailer that has the climactic scene in it or like the the final battle between whomever in it. It's like wait, you you spoiled it. Right, so, but I don't think that those who, who not the directors, but those who are backing it, the, the production companies care about that. They, they, all they care about is the money that's being made. They don't care about spoiling it for you, unfortunately. You want to talk, yeah, we, the trailer, yeah, I personally don't watch trailers anymore, especially for movies that I'm gonna see anyway. Um, I might as well not, I might as well get the scenes in context rather than how the promotional company decided to cut it all together. But uh, going back on, on horror trailers, I think the all time greatest uh, trailer, not just horror, just all time is the Alien, original Alien 1979 trailer. That is just, that is a work on itself. Like whoever cut that thing, like, just like chef's kiss. That is just like one of the all time best like ways to promote uh, a movie like Alien, especially since nothing like Alien had uh, come along yet. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's 
it's on YouTube and it's on the, probably several other platforms. It's one of the all time best trailers like for a movie ever made. Wow. I have the box. I have the box set, and I think the trailer is on there. So I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, me too. I never yeah, absolutely. It. Just it's just a showcase in how you promote, uh, especially a horror movie, but just how you promote the tone of a movie. Like it's uh, really quick shots. You're not getting the full like uh, story. There's no there's no dialogue either. Interestingly enough, there's no dialogue. Uh, it's just a series of quick cuts and shots and sounds, and it just gives you just this uh, the feel of what this movie is going to be. And I think that's what trailers best trailers should do. And it, you know, it's interesting because when I was teaching um, film to my students, there was never really a training or workshop for how to cut a trailer. I mean, even to this day, they, I, and that would, you would make lots of money by just showing people how to cut a trailer. And, and it, it's really too bad because it's a, maybe it's a best kept secret, you know, the filmmakers, I don't know, but uh, how to cut a trailer. And I'm gonna definitely check it out, Jeff. I wanted to also mention another uh, film uh, and this kind of, it got too commercial when it started going, you know, when they start doing the uh, remakes, but the original 2002 grudge, that the grudge, uh, you know, that, that was a movie that was unexpected. You know, it took place, um, it took place in Japan, I'm assuming, wasn't it? I You're talking about the the original. Like, I'm talking about the Japan. original, not the original, other. original. Okay, not not the, the American Japanese original. film. The Japanese the, version. The Japanese film, okay. 2002, okay. the original uh, um, Grudge movie, and I, I just loved how you know it, it. It again, it's the storytelling. I'm I'm really deep into the storytelling, I and mean, you can analyze films all you want, but if you're not a masterful storyteller, if you can't, you know, put your vision into your characters then you've got a flat story. And, and I thought the grudge was really well-rounded and because you really felt for the mom when she went into that, when she could actually see these visions of these, you know, dead people. And it was just, again, it started off regular, you know, just, you know, some Americans living in Japan, working and, you know, had a family, but it was just, I, I don't know. I want to get your, everyone's take on it if you like it, but I just thought the original, I'm not talking about the grudge two, three, four, and five. I'm talking about the original 2002 grudge, the grudge. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen actually both versions, uh, the Americanized version that came out a few years la later than that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always, uh, it's always interesting how other countries portray their horrors. Uh, you know, we've been very uh, American centric in our list so far, uh, you know, that's in that sort of the way that uh, we've been given, uh, it's sort of the way we consume movies. But uh, yeah, that's definitely an interesting way of, uh, uh, of how they are, their stories and how their uh, folklore influences their, uh, their filmmaking and how they how they, how, especially in their horror movies. Um, yeah, one movie I was it didn't quite make my list, but I wanted to give it a shout out just because it was uh, from another country. It's uh, from Iran, actually. Um, uh, Under the Shadow by, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, Babka Anvari. And it came out in uh, 2016, in fact. Uh, it's also, it has to deal with uh, a mother dealing, uh, a mother-daughter, uh, mother-son situation where it's actually during the um, Iran-Iraq war and they're having to basically barricade inside their own uh, apartment uh, in order to, uh, 
in order to, to take cover from the bombings that, are, that were going on. Uh, it takes place in Tehran. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, it, there's a lot, of course, a lot of influences. Uh, we, we've mentioned uh, a lot of other, uh, the, the Babadook uh, came to mind, but this is sort of a different sort of Middle Eastern sort of take on uh, on horror. And uh, the, the, their ghosts are called jinn and they, uh, they float around the sky and they, uh, uh, the attack on suspecting uh, uh, people. But, uh, so while we're on international horror, this is not on my list, but just was, you know, talking about the original uh, uh, Grudge, maybe think about another movie um, from that part of the world, um, The Audition, um, which uh, my mind was just kind of focused on American horror, but maybe if I had kind of rethought about my process and making a list, it might be on it, but it was fantastic. Um, I'm not going to give away much if you've not seen it. I don't know if you've seen it or not, so I'm not going to give away stuff. I know I spoiled, potentially spoiled Hereditary. I don't want to spoil anything else, but <laughs> the audition. Check that one out. Absolutely. Yeah, that should have been on my list. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot it. The, yeah, the audition is definitely... I'm going to bring up the director soon but yeah the audition is like yeah that is definitely j-horror like taken to the max um what, what's the premise the, tell me what the premise is you all tell me it's great what is the premise you don't have to give away the baby in the right back. we don't have to give it right we don't have to give away it we're not definitely not going to give it especially if people haven't seen it yet uh so Takashi Miike, of course that's like he's been uh, one of my favorite uh, japanese directors but anyway a uh, well-to-do uh, Japanese businessman is uh, sort of lonely and uh, not really doing well in dating scenes. So he puts out a personal ad, you know, for a uh, companion, uh, quote unquote, and uh, the one girl answers this uh, ad and uh, it starts turning out that she's not quite, you know, she, he likes he likes her initially, of course, and uh, well, wants her to be wants her to be this sort of uh, girlfriend experience uh, sort of thing. But uh, he gets more than he bargained for. Uh, oh boy, does he ever! Um, and I, I won't go, especially if you two haven't seen it. Uh, definitely. Where can yeah. I see it? Where can I see the audition? I want to say Amazon Prime, maybe. Oh yeah. It goes on and off. It goes on and off the streaming platforms. But definitely the the audition. Yeah, the audition is definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What year is it? 1999. Great oh, year wow. for movies. Great oh, year for so. movies. Yeah. Okay, yeah, definitely oh. Takashi Miike's uh, audition. Uh, <laughs> that is the one that put him on the map. It put uh, Japanese horror on the map as well. Uh, definitely, definitely recommended. I just wanted to mention one thing about, and I know you all going to think this is corny, but you got to hear me out, okay? I recently got turned on. This must have been about 2016 to the the CW series of Supernatural. And I know that you're probably saying, what? Uh, a boom baby uh, artist and serious filmmaker? It watched, so, let me tell you, Supernatural has all the representation of evil and of different uh, citizens of the world in terms of their personality, like the shifter, the, they, they have uh, heavens in a war. I mean, has anybody watched the series of Supernatural? You all got it. You should start it from the beginning. It's on Netflix and just watch the genre. Someone had turned me on to it and I, I can't turn loose. I'm watching the second, uh, the second series. I think it was one of my students um, 
because I think, uh, Mark, I don't know if you know, but I teach uh, media at the college. So I, you know, I, so my students, I'm very involved and engaged with my students. And I think it was one of them that said, um, Professor, why don't you go check out Supernatural? And I said, oh, okay, okay, I'll go check. But check it out from the beginning. It's in, and they even had a pandemic where they were wearing masks. So if you get a chance, you talk about horror, you talk about genres that, you know, that really reflect the art. Is it art reflecting life or life is reflecting art? Check out Supernatural. And then I would just like to have a conversation, even if you watch the first three or four series. Um, and I'm sure that since this is going public, you're gonna get some responses about Supernatural. I'll shut up now. Okay. Yeah, I'm, on, no, I'm on episode. Yeah, I'm on episode twelve on, on uh, Supernatural. Oh, I, I have three. I, yeah, I have three. Yeah, I have three seasons. I mean, I'm, excuse me. I'm on uh, season twelve. I have three more seasons to go to catch up. And your thoughts? Man, I, I mean, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I mean, the, last time I watched, like I watched it, I, I stopped watching after three seasons. Three seasons ago. But yeah, I was I was into it. I, I mean, I, I, I around season three and four, it was getting really big. I was like, how are they gonna be able to? Because it's it's so expensive to in order to um, do everything with the direction where the story was going. It's getting pretty big, right? But it's yeah. like, yeah, I was I was I was hooked. I was hooked, and I I would recommend it. Definitely. Then we can have a great conversation about supernatural. Okay, I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> No, just in terms of yeah, I know this 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 motion Deborah wasn't uh, you don't uh, please don't swear it was uh, no no please by all means I mean I can just label this explicit or, or nothing I mean I, I don't have a problem with it I don't have a problem with uh, with a real explicit uh, explicit saying but anyway uh, uh, I would love to talk about supernatural too but I haven't seen any any bit of it either now I think we get into a horror show is maybe right at the end if we can recommend but. Uh, has anyone seen the Twilight Zone series? Because I, I think I saw one. Oh, okay, I, I just yeah. saw one. It's it, see, I'm a oh, okay. Back in the day, Rod Sterling, <laughs> he was unbelievable with Twilight Zone. Some of those stories still resonate with me over the years, um, and I could pick one or two that really sort of mirror some of um, my own techniques and storytelling, but. Um, Rod Sterling was was amazing, but I did see one of his. I think it was about the comedian, and it didn't. It was almost like us. I didn't. I couldn't really get into it. The one that I really liked was the Twilight Zone. If you get a chance to see it, Sinai Lathan with her uh, black son going to college. That was good, and and I maybe because I could relate to it because I have a black son who went to college. So, um, but. Other than that, I, I just, I, it, you know, Rod Sterling is a, is a hard act to, to follow um, because there, there was so, oh my God, there was so many messages in the Twilight Zone. But anyways, I'll stop here. I know, you know, I mean, we could have, we could have a whole show on Twilight Zone. Can, <laughs> so, we can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I have seen the, the revival and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, Replay, that's the episode's name. Uh, that that is definitely a standout. Uh, definitely one of the best, uh, the best reasons to revive the Twilight Zone. Uh, but definitely check out uh, the uh, 
the original because yes, some of them are still relevant and unfortunately <laughs> very relevant. Uh, but yeah, we could definitely do something on that Twilight Zone. But in terms of uh, horror shows, uh, there aren't many actually that uh, I, I checked out a few episodes of American Horror Story and, uh, you know, The Walking Dead, and, and those are fine. But um, uh, what came out a few years ago, we might talk about this uh, in a later show, The Haunting of Hill House, uh, Mike Flanagan's uh, adaptation of uh, Agatha Christie's novel. That is an outstanding, uh, outstanding, uh, not just horror story, just uh, outstanding story about this family dealing with past trauma and how that manifests itself in their adult lives. I think that was an outstanding, uh, outstanding uh, uh, adaptation. Was that a series that they had? Because I think was, I, yeah. Oh, was, that was, was awesome. It was, it was great. It was mm -hmm. great. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. If you like the, was it a haunting of Hill House? They have now the haunting of Blind Manor. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, so if you like that stuff, I saw it like two episodes so far and and, I, and, I, and I'm loving it. So if you haven't seen that yet, definitely right. check it out. And it just came out recently. And um, this it one, started, um, it, 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 Kenyatta, it started off kind of slow, but the the the, Bly, the haunting of Bly Manor. But it, re, but it, I think it, it will get better. I just saw the first one, but it it is. I think it's going to be a good series. Right, right. Good, good. Yeah, because again, the first uh, haunting of Hill House, I, I thought. That's such a hard act to follow. I thought they did such a great job. They knocked oh, out of they, the park. That was amazing. I have. I only saw it that one time, and I meant to rewatch it uh, so that I could kind of get into the anchor, just you know, into some of the detail of the storytelling. But that was a great. It was, it was a great series, and you couldn't help but watch it to the end. It was great. We thank you again for giving us a listen. You have reached the end of part two of our discussion. Hey, it's a special trick or treat. We had a lot of picks to get through, so stay tuned for more. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. You can support this podcast in the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button on anchor.fm. You can find Kenyatta and I hosting the Boston Screenwriters Group. You can join us by RSVPing to a virtual peer reviewing scripts meetup by using the link in the description. We wish you all the best in your writing and other life pursuits. Take care and stay strong.